Somewhere in this building, there's a TV turner, and it's my fault it's not here, because earlier today, I, uh, I took it and went, oh, I should put that back on there, and it's not there right now. So if you're at home today, um, the slides are off camera. Sorry. Um, I don't know if you guys can find the TV turner, if I should just unplug it, but for now, this is a sign of when my actions did not meet what I understood they needed to meet. So that'll make sense in a little bit. So, Well, the sermon title for today is wrong. Um, I had an idea, and I realized it was giving ideas to high school students working on English papers, and so we're going to change the sermon, um, not the sermon, but the title, um, to my backup. And I had a backup for this one because it's what I wanted to do, And then I felt like if you drove by our church and saw a sign saying, telling the joke, come listen Sunday morning, um, maybe it would have attracted people, um, but I don't know what they would have expected. Um, Today we're going to talk about integrity, which means talking about telling the joke. And so we'll get there in a moment. Um, But first, I have to tell you all, um, and again, I'm sorry for those of you at home, Um, But I have to tell you all that this is the last time I'm going to just put a picture of Lucy up. Um, And the reason is, is that this Sunday Lucy is registered for the toddler room, and she's coming back to church. Yes, I am thrilled. Um, And and what that means, and I was not asked to say this, but I think it's worth saying um, in integrity. Um, If you want to see Lucy... I know that they need a lot of slots filled for the 9 a.m. Kid City this fall. Um, And so, yeah, so I'll let you guys figure that out. Well, this morning we're continuing our series, Sharpened Iron. Um, And this is a series from the book of Proverbs 28 and 29. And we're, we're starting from the verse, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Um, And it's the verse that we use to talk about discipleship, as we talked about last week. Um, But what's uncomfortable, but true, and what we should be considering whenever we think about iron sharpened iron, is that you are being sharpened and you are being shaped, whether or not it's towards a righteous end. In the church, we like saying, oh, when we get together, we sharpen each other. True. But you're also being sharpened by everyone else you interact with, and especially those that you hold in high esteem, and especially those that you spend a lot of time with. And so the the conversation about iron sharpening iron is truly a conversation not just about our church relationships. It's a conversation about in all of our relationships, intentionally or unintentionally, we're being discipled. We're being shaped. And are we being shaped to look more like Christ in a righteous way, or are we being shaped in any other way, which if it is less than Christ, it is admittedly wicked in comparison? So we're going to jump in, and this is our purpose statement for the series. I want to understand God with such integrity that it does not matter what arises, I am able to respond with wise action that leads others to begin to understand God in the same way and do the same types of actions. That is my prayer for myself as a follower of Christ. That is my prayer for all of you, if you claim Christ. If you do not claim Christ, if you are not a follower of Christ, this is still my prayer for you. Because this is what I believe we were created to be, and we were intended to be. And so, so this is where we're headed. And we're going to look at the second part of this statement today, but first let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you for this day. Uh, We thank you for this time. We thank you that you are so good. Um, We thank you that you are a righteous God, that you are perfect, that you are loving, that you are all-powerful, all-knowing, you are everywhere. Um, And we thank you that you invite us into relationship with you, even though we failed to live up to what you created us to be. We thank you that you give us your spirit, that we can hear your words and respond. And we pray that we would do that. Um, I pray that they find the remote. (laughs) Um, But I I thank you, Lord, that whether or not they do, I know you can speak through me. And I I pray you would give us all ears to hear the message, that these would be your words and not mine. And Lord, we just thank you that you are so good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I I need to give you a few reminders before we really get going. Um, And I'll do this way faster than last week. But I also want to say, if you didn't listen last week, these are like four messages that are all designed with each other in mind. At the end, we're going to see how it's just like a really fancy flow chart for do this or do this. do this. And, And so we'll get there in like two weeks. But what I want to tell you is, when we're in the book of Proverbs, we always have to remember that the book of Proverbs is a book of principles, not promises. So when we read iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another, we don't say that is a promise that absolutely every time comes true, but we recognize the principle behind it is truth and wise and worth following. Proverbs 28 and 29 is about righteous culture building or wicked culture building. It is important every week that we think there are two options, there are not three options, there are not four options. You cannot fulfill the great commission with apathy. So you're either intentionally moving towards righteousness or you're moving towards something else, which is building a wicked culture. This is hard, it's not easy, and there's only been one human who's ever done it perfectly, and he was also fully God. Um, Proverbs 28 through 29, in the center, there's a unifying verse that we're going to talk about later, but I do want to tell you it's, it's built around four principles. Last week, we talked about understanding at the top there. This week, we're going to talk about integrity, and then we're going to read a warning, and then we'll do the next two in the next few weeks. But it's very intentionally crafted together. And, and so you see here, this, I'm not going to read that right now. Um, but then uh, finally, um, Proverbs 28 and 29 is designed with a clearly defined kingdom in mind. And we talked about this last week. For the people who put together the book of Proverbs 28 and 29, they were thinking about an Israelite or a Jew that was probably in the kingdom of Judah by the time this took place. Um, and that was the kingdom that mattered. Is our kingdom acting righteously? Start there. And if we do this well, hopefully it is a testimony to the rest of the world. For us today as Christians, it's, it's this person, the Christian, us, in the kingdom of God, which is the church or the body of Christ, and then everything else, all earthly kingdoms, the nation we are in, all other nations, all other things that don't claim Christ as king are outside of that. And so our starting point for today is Proverbs 28 and 29 is for the church, for us, for our house, and let's take care of our house. Now, I said this last week. You can listen to a longer explanation, but I do need to make sure to say, um, even though it says not for the rest of the world, this is absolutely, the Bible is absolutely for the rest of the world, but in our, our conversation on building up a righteous culture, It's not our job to say the rest of the world is wicked. It's our job to show them what righteousness looks like. And so our job is not to impose, but instead to show. 
I want to understand God, and we're focused this week on with such integrity that it does not matter what arises. And, and so we're going to answer this question. What are the characteristics of an integrity that is grounded in a right understanding of God in all situations? Um, so we need to define integrity. And I'm really, really excited for this moment. Um, so I googled integrity. And, and the first thing you do when you Google is you look at Google images because you want to see like the, the Instagram or the social media. Um, and the very first post is from Unilever or Unilever. I don't know. They're British, so they probably say it differently. Um, but they, they have this quote on their business integrity page of their website. And it's a quote from C.S. Lewis. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. And that's from the Unilever page. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. And that's a good starting point, I think. Except it's not for a number of reasons. And the first one is, um, I I found out last week I have a new favorite C.S. Lewis book. And my favorite C.S. Lewis book is called The Misquotable C.S. Lewis, What He Didn't Say, What He Actually Said, and Why It Matters. And the phrase, doing the right thing even when no one is watching, was not a C.S. Lewis quote. And I think this is amazing for so many reasons, because Unilever has had a lot of um, news about how they aren't very ethical. And, And on their business integrity page about all the things they're doing to do things right, they have misquoted C.S. Lewis. And I think that is hilarious, because they're trying to show, look how much integrity we have. Look, we like C.S. Lewis. They're a British company. He's British. Look how great we are. The problem is he never said that, and I love it. Um, So so whether or not this is a right definition of integrity, C.S. Lewis didn't say it. Um, We're going to look at a good C.S. Lewis quote later, but the one thing I want to tell you here is I think this definition of integrity is lacking in some very big ways because it assumes a lot. And you know what happens when you assume you make wrong decisions? So now let's look at Merriam-Webster. Their their definition of integrity is a firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values, incorruptibility, an unimpaired condition, soundness, the quality or state of being complete or undivided, completeness. And I was really excited to try and summarize that into one sentence. And so here is my definition of integrity. Integrity is telling the joke no matter who laughs. So only a few of you laughed. Earlier today, I experienced Andy Suarez told a joke in our production meeting, and only one person in the room laughed. I was chuckling, and then everyone else was trying to solve the problem, and so they all missed Andy's joke. But um, good job with your joke earlier, Andy. Integrity is telling the joke no matter who laughs. Um, This is a bad definition of integrity, but let me show you something. Telling the joke no matter who laughs. A firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values. If I believe firmly that the joke is funny, shouldn't I always tell it? Is it ever not funny if it's funny to me? um, An unimpaired condition. Well, if I think it's funny, I hope you see I'm not being serious here, but what I'm trying to illustrate, I did this with our students once when I was trying to show them how bad their definitions of integrity were. I said, well, is it telling the joke when no one, no matter who laughs? And it's stuck in our youth group. So I have to tell it today in order to have the kind of integrity that today I'm going to try and tell you not to have. Um, 
telling the joke no matter who laughs. It's a bad definition. But, but what's behind it is that an earthly definition of integrity is built on a very simple idea. It's built on my principles, my codes, my right and wrong, what I think I should do. That's how we think about integrity. Doing the right thing even when no one is watching. Who's right thing? Who's not watching? Why does it matter? A biblical definition of integrity is far different. It's far more uncomfortable, and it requires us to recognize that if we're going to stand by our own definitions of integrity, we're going to fall very short. Okay, so here is a real definition of integrity Um, And then I have to add a little thing in the middle because when I told people about this, they all argued whether or not it was good. Um, I think integrity is critical thinking and action. That's my simplest definition of integrity. Because you can't have integrity if you've never thought about it. If you do the right thing and you have no idea why you did it, are you adhering to a moral principle? Are Are you doing it for a reason? Or are you just like, well, this is the right thing to do? Whenever people say this is the right thing to do, we've always done it this way, is that a good sign? Thank you for those of you at home who answered that. Um, the blank here, the blank here is about righteousness. Last week we talked about the first part of this is I want to understand God. I want to understand God through his word. I want to know who God is and what a picture of righteousness is by critically thinking about God's word. That's our starting point for today. It is critical thinking about righteousness in action. And so I don't know where I should have put commas in order to make this one flowing sentence, but what I want to tell you is is that you can't have integrity without critical thinking. And critical thinking and action is my best definition of integrity. Because why you do something is probably the measure of your integrity. And if you don't know why you do something, it's probably a poor sign of your integrity. And someone may say, well, I critically think about things, but I still do wrong things. Well, then your integrity is tied to, I'm okay with doing this wrong thing. You can say, I know it's wrong, but if you keep doing it, and you never change your mind or never change away from doing it wrong, at some point, at some point, we have to think, maybe you're okay with it even as you say you're not. The question for today is rooted in what we think needs to be thought about in order to critically think in a way that affects our actions in an intentionally righteous way. You can't have integrity without thought. It's not a blind moral fiber that you have and you're just, no matter what, I'm going to follow through on this code. That's not a good thing. And we're going to talk about that later. But if you don't think about it, it's probably not where you should be headed. I want to understand God with such integrity that it does not matter what arises. Well, our, our question again is, what are the characteristics of an integrity that is grounded in a right understanding of God in all situations? We're going to read the passage now. Um, it's Proverbs twenty-eight, twelve through 28. Um, and as we read it, I'm, I'm, just, I'm doing what I did last week where I'm going to read straight through it. Um, and then I'm going to point out a few big idea things that occur in it. And I would encourage you this week, after you see the big idea theme, to go read it on your own time. Um, because I, I could spend hours on each verse, or we could spend minutes on each verse. But I want to stay on this broad picture, because we're talking about an understanding built on integrity that leads towards righteous culture. And so we want to stay on the big picture today. So I'm going to read the passage. 
When the righteous triumph, there is great glory, but when the wicked arise, people hide themselves. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A ruler who lacks understanding is a cruel oppressor, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. If one is burdened with the blood of another, he will be a fugitive until death. Let no one help him. Whoever walks in integrity will be delivered, but he who is crooked in his ways will suddenly fall. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread a man will do wrong. A stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. Whoever rebukes a man will afterwards find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says that is no transgression is a companion to a man who destroys. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. So, just like last week, I'm plagiarizing from myself, but as long as I say it, I can maintain my integrity. Um, this passage begins, Proverbs 28, 12, with the idea of when the righteous triumph, there's great glory, but when the wicked rise, people hide themselves. And you'll note, when we come to that final verse, same exact thing. When the wicked rise, people hide themselves. And then a new thought built on the same thing before, but when they perish, the righteous increase. The idea in this passage, again and again, is either righteousness is increasing or wickedness is increasing. It's one or the other. And, and in the middle, um, and I know you can't read these, um, I can't read them either, um, but, but what I want to point out is that if you read through this passage looking at a couple key things, you're going to notice them. Um, the first thing is, is that, that wicked integrity is built on wicked action. And that, that may seem, <laughs> whoa, I, I know that's really crazy, but, but it's important to note that integrity is entirely tied to action in this passage. The, the, if we go back to last week, everything's about the way you think and knowledge and understanding, and now we start talking about how that knowledge and understanding is going to build into your actions. Because if you claim to understand God's word and to follow God's word, and then your actions don't show it, it's not, it's not that your actions don't show it, it's that your understanding doesn't get there. That may, I hope that makes sense. Um, one of the things I struggle most with in the world um, is we talk about head knowledge and heart knowledge. Like they can be separated. And I think it's a good way to talk because a lot of Christians were willing to say, I want to go deeper and deeper, but we never take action. But, but at some point, that means the head knowledge isn't there. And at some point, it means the heart knowledge isn't there. And, and I think they're one thing. If we have a right understanding of God's word, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
That's the greatest commandment. And, and in doing that, you have to do all four together. It's not, well, I'm going to love God with my strength today. I'll do my mind next week. It's an all-encompassing idea. And it's challenging because it means, and we talked about this last week, it means we're going to find out that we don't measure up very often. But it also means that the one who can help us measure up, the Holy Spirit, can help us be what we on our own could never be. So wickedness is tied to action and so is righteousness. And I, I want to tell you, the top verse is such a clue into the difference between righteous integrity and wicked integrity. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. As we're talking today, what I want you to hear is the conversation today is not about if you do something wrong, you're terrible. The conversation today is about we all do wrong things. I sin, you sin, we all sin. Um, whoever conceals his transgressions, the assumption is everyone transgresses. It's the one who's unwilling to confess. It's the one who wants everyone to think, I live well, whether or not people see me. All the time, I live by my code. The one who confesses and forsakes them. The, the difference is one person is willing to say when their understanding doesn't meet with their integrity and their actions, and they're willing to change and forsake them. The conversation today is not you need to be perfect here and now. The conversation is where you're not perfect, let's acknowledge it. Where your actions don't align with Scripture, let's have conversations about it. Let's move forward from it. Let's not sit in it. Let's not say, well, no one needs to know about that. Let's say instead, there are people in my life who need to know, and I'm going to tell them because I want them to help me. I want to understand God with such integrity that it does not matter what arises. So we're looking at the characteristics of an integrity that is grounded in a right understanding of God in all situations. And we're going to do what we did last week. We're stealing from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who talked about cheap grace and costly grace. And we're going to talk about cheap integrity. Cheap integrity is I hold to my moral code. I have um, a specific family member, an older family member in mind, who passed away a long time ago, but... When I was younger, I always admired him for the way he lived by his code. Um, and then later in his life, I started to realize, even though he was very consistent, there were things that I wished he would have done differently. And I wished he would have thought about them. But if you ever talked to him about it, he, he got gruff and he, got, he said, you do you, I'll do me. And, and what a sad, because I know me. I'm a sinner. I transgress. I do wrong. And I don't want to do me. I want to do something better than me. And so if you just follow your own moral code, at some point you're going to hit a wall. Cheap integrity. No one can question that I am consistent in my actions. It's a look at me. I hold my values everywhere. But are the values worth holding? I, my, I maintain my values no matter the cost. I follow my principles even when I regret the outcome. I misquote C.S. Lewis to make myself look ethical. I do the right thing no matter who is watching. It's, it's easy to say that. It's easy to say I do the right thing no matter who is watching. But the better question is, why do you care about who's watching? Cheap integrity is an adherence to the idea that principles must be followed. The problem is that these principles are ultimately rooted in a fluid understanding of right and wrong action. I talk all the time about this. I stole this from the Bible Project and Tim Mackey. Um, but he talks about his favorite definition of sin is um, 
when we redefine good and evil on our own terms. What did they do in the garden? God told them there's one thing not to do. And, and the woman with the man standing next to her looked at that tree, looked at that fruit with the temptation there. But what she saw and what she did was, that looks good to eat. It's desirable to the eye and it will make me like God. And she and the man with her ate that fruit. And what they were doing in that moment, they were saying, we know what God said and we're willing we're willing to do something different. And if God is perfect and God is perfectly holy and, and God's perfection is what we're supposed to aspire to as we're told in Matthew, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect, whenever we redefine good and evil, we are either saying God is not perfect or we are showing how imperfect we are. This is in integrity. I, 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 I want to show you this. I when, when I talk about integrity as critical thinking and action, it's thinking about what is God's version of perfect, what is God's version of good and evil, and why do I settle for something less? I'm going to do a C.S. Lewis quote now, and this one's really him. Um, and uh, it's, the first slide is, I think, the best picture of cheap integrity I could come up with. The second slide is the uncomfortable conclusion for all of us. I think that many of us, this is from the book Mere Christianity, um, which is a wonderful book. It was a series of radio lectures he did um, in the middle of World War II to encourage people towards Christ that eventually became a book. It is a wonderful book. It is a logic. I I could talk about that for hours. We don't have time. Um, I think that many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that were an obvious nuisance, are inclined to feel, though we do not put it into words, that we are now good enough. He has done all we wanted him to do, and we should be obliged if he would now leave us alone. As we say, I never expected to be a saint. I only wanted to be a decent, ordinary chap. And we imagine when we say this that we are being humble. I'll read the second part of the quote in a moment. But Jesus did not die so that you could just go to heaven Jesus did not die for something that cheap. I mean, it's, it's a part of it. But Jesus died because there was a picture of humanity. The Old Testament is, from the start, gives us a picture of what humans were intended and created to be and what we failed to be. And Jesus is the only human who ever came and lived up to what the Bible said we should all be. And in Jesus' death and resurrection, through his death and his blood, we are gifted the Holy Spirit so that we can live up to what we were created to be. When somebody says, well, I'll never be a pastor, I'll never be a saint, I'll never be all of these things, I I think C.S. Lewis is right. We imagine we are being humble, but what we are actually saying is, I reject the gift of Jesus' blood. Cheap integrity is saying, "I'm, I'm doing my best and that's good enough. This is uncomfortable, I know, and the sermon was called Telling the Joke. But, but there's a reality here that we so often settle for less. And when we do that, what we're doing is we are saying that the price Jesus paid wasn't worth it. And it was. And he wants us to become so much more. This is the fatal mistake. Of course we never wanted and never asked to be made into the sorts of creatures he is going to make us into. Now I read that. We, we never wanted to be. It's not saying we don't want to be perfect. It's saying we have no framework for doing this on our own. If the Old Testament or the world tells us anything, it's that humans on our own cannot fathom perfection. 
We cannot live up to perfection. And, and we don't even try because if we tried, how sad we would be. And the only thing that changes that is when Jesus' death and resurrection showed us there is an end to death and shows us on top of that that there through the Holy Spirit is a way that we can live life. The question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. He is the inventor. We are only the machine. He is the painter. We are only the picture. How should we know what he means us to be like? Costly integrity is, is in contrast to cheap integrity. Instead of saying, I hold to my moral code, it's I keep to God's word. And again, this isn't about perfection, but it's about recognizing when we sin, confessing and forsaking and turning away from that sin. Instead of not allowing myself to be questioned because of my great integrity, I allow others to question my actions for accountability. Um, this last week, I, um, I had the opportunity, it was a blessing, to officiate um, the Atkinson's oldest son's wedding, and it was wonderful. Um, but something, as I was driving down, it was in Champaign-Urbana, something as I was driving down on Thursday, um, I realized I've never stayed in a hotel room alone in my entire life. Um, and I, I just was like, I don't, I don't know. Um, and so I called a mentor, and I texted my accountability partner, and I said, hey, just if you could be checking up on me. And just making sure I'm making wise choices. Um, and I, I, on top of doing that, I, I also, with the mentor, we talked about, well, what are you going to do when you went, walk in the room first? And I laid some things out, and I was very intentional in my time. Um, I don't know. Some of you may be like, this is weird. But I'd never thought about being in a hotel room on my own. And here I am preaching about critical thinking. And so I, I made sure that that was a part of my way down, was being held accountable and both uh, accountability partner and mentor reached out to me throughout the weekend asking, how are you doing? And I was able to talk to them about it. Costly integrity is allowing others to question my acts, to hold me accountable. Costly integrity, I allow my values to be challenged and deepened. That sounds so much better than I know to do the right thing, to say, I know that I don't, I, I don't perfectly know this, and I allow others to challenge and deepen my faith in community. I do not regret following the Lord in obedience. Um, what's funny is I, um, I hope this will make sense. This is a silly story, but I hope by the end it will make sense. Um, so first off, I was at a Starbucks while I was in Champaign-Urbana. And I'm ashamed to say that because I don't like Starbucks. Um, but integrity is I have to tell you what coffee shop I went to. I can't hide that. Um, on Thursday, I was there in the afternoon before the rehearsal dinner, um, and there was a guy in the Starbucks. It was pouring outside, and the guy, like clearly a homeless guy, he had like his giant bag, and he had all this stuff with him. He had a service dog, and the whole time I was sitting in the coffee shop, waiting until it was the appropriate time to drive over to the venue, um, I felt like the Lord was saying, hey, 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 about him, and I, I just kind of sat there like, why well, don't have any money on me? And that's what I thought in my head. I don't have any money on me. And that's cheap. That's cheap. And then as I was leaving, as I was leaving, I, I walked out, and as I got in the car, I realized, oh, I have some cash on me. I never have cash on me. And so I went back in, and I handed the guy some cash and said, I don't know your story, but I'm praying for you. And then I walked away. And I, wanna, I wanted to, like, as I was driving away, I, I was thinking about, like, I wanted to, like, pat myself on the back and then I was like, well, no, 
No, and I, I felt like the Lord was like, Matt, you missed something here. Um, and, and what I will tell you is in the past, I've always had this moral code of I don't give homeless people money. I'll buy them food or I'll interact with them, but I'm not going to give them money because I don't know how they spend it. And then, and then I break that sometimes if I don't have any other options. But I was literally sitting in a coffee shop with this guy for an hour. And the guy was just sitting. He's like a guy probably in his 20s or 30s. Um, and I, I really regret my actions for a very specific reason. Um, the next day, I, I stopped by that same Starbucks on my way to the wedding venue. And he was outside with a sign that said, just need weed. And I don't regret that he probably spent the money I gave him on weed. I regret, regret that when the Holy Spirit was prompting me to go sit and talk with this guy, and I had time, I didn't. And I gave him money and said, I'm praying for you. When I could have sat there and heard his story. And, and costly integrity is one telling you about this. It's two learning from it. It's three reflecting on it and making sure that never happens again. And I don't want to say, all right, now every time you see a homeless guy, you need to sit down with them or you need to give them money or you need to not give them money. It's not that. It's critically thinking about how the Lord is trying to shape and grow me and responding to the Spirit. Because that was a moment where I am confident I missed it. And I actually, I've been thinking about it ever since it happened and praying about it, not out of guilt, but out of Lord. I know I missed something, and it was this morning where I felt like the Lord was like, that was an opportunity to share the gospel, not buy him more weed. And so I joke, but I also tell you, I, I, I look at that moment and say, I need to do better next time. I need to confess that sin, I need to forsake it, and I need to do better next time. Because cheap integrity is, well, I did what the Lord prompted me to do. Costly integrity is, I did the thing the Lord wanted me to do. Costly integrity is an active recognition that living righteously is built on principles that come from the Creator and involves critical thinking that leads to acting in obedience to God's commands, which fulfill the purposes for which humans were created. Part of the challenge of all of this is that as Christians, a lot of times we think we understand the Bible, we follow God, we're doing right, instead of thinking, what does it look like to follow God well? consistently. The, the word that I want to kind of close in our time of talking with is the word saturation or permeation. I, I think about I, a lot of times when we're at church, we're like, we're fully saturated in Christianity. We're with a bunch of other believers. We're worshiping. We're praying. We're spending this time together. When we're at small group, when we're doing our devotions, which hopefully we're all doing, and when we're, when we're amongst Christians, how do we live? But then costly integrity is about, does that saturate every aspect of my life? Do I, do I think about what it looks like to follow God when I'm at work? And do I really think about it, or I just, if I'm a good employee, I'm always doing the right thing, or do I think about what is the cost of following Jesus in this space? Jesus lived perfectly not, when he was only in, or not only when he was in synagogues or when he was teaching, but always. We've been given the same Holy Spirit always. The question is, are we going to think about it? Are we going to reflect on it? Are we going to live in community with others in such a way that we're able to have costly integrity to move forward, not based on our own bias or our own agenda, but based on what God's Word is calling us to do, and are we going to act on that? 
Integrity is found in intentional actions that have been thought through, weighed against a right understanding of God's word, so that God's principles guide and shape us to look like what we were created to be in all situations. This is not easy. This is not easy at all. And I I don't want to pretend like this is an easy thing, but what I want to tell you is that if we want to have a righteous culture here at Springbrook, it's going to start from our willingness to do this. And let me say one other thing, two other things, because integrity is telling the joke. Um, I went looking for tape this morning to tape something to this, and I was disappointed that I could find the invisible tape. Now the serious thing. Um, Integrity is about all times. And specifically, integrity is about the good times. We think of integrity as what we do in the crisis moment. Costly integrity is thinking about every moment, so when the crisis comes... It matches. We think about integrity as, oh, in that horrible moment, did we handle it right or did we handle it wrong? And we did the right thing when everything, when our backs were against the wall. And, and if you read the Old Testament, Israel, whenever their backs were against the wall, they cried out to God and God delivered them. And then it was like within a generation, they were like, all right, let's go back to normal. And then in the next generation, they would have another adversary come up and they'd cry out to God and God would deliver them. And that pattern repeated Because when they were in the good times, instead of turning to the Lord, in those times they turned to their own devices. Integrity is about not living in comfort. It's about recognizing how to live righteously in all situations. And and there's comfort in doing that, but it's comfort on God's standards. There is so much joy in my life when I'm following this well. It just takes a lot more to do than to just ignore it and to pass by, and to hand somebody six bucks to get away. Integrity is about not what we do in the crisis moments. It's about living a consistent way, even when there's no crisis, and critically thinking, and following after God's word. Integrity is this, and following this well. It's not my code. It's conforming myself to this code. And I got to tell you, the central verse of Proverbs 28 and 29 is a very intentional verse. So there's, there's these, the wicked, the righteous, the righteous, the wicked, the wicked, the righteous, the righteous, the wicked. In the center, Proverbs 29.1 offers a warning. And it's a warning that applies to the two sections before it and the two sections after it. He who is often reproved, and reproved means told, corrected or told you need to do this, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. If we wait until the crisis to see the measure of our integrity, our neck might be broken. That's what this is saying. If we wait to consider God's word until after, until after things have gone awry, it might snap. And the imagery is supposed to be that harsh. The imagery is supposed to be that harsh because if we want to build a righteous culture— It it takes intention. It takes moving towards it. It takes saying, I'm going to reject the things I want to do in favor of what God has called me to do. And it takes doing that now. Wherever you're at right now, I, I want to encourage you. You may say, I've got too much to deal with. And if you say that, just start taking those steps. You may say, I have nothing to deal with. If that's the case, I you might need a neck massage. I mean that. I I this is so important because we don't consider this very often. But, but the point is, is 
Someday, if you're not going to follow through, if you're not building towards righteousness, you're building towards something else. And the time you figure it out, maybe after it's too late to do anything about it. And you may say, well, I still get to go to heaven or blah, blah, blah. You know, it's not like I lose my salvation. And okay, you're right. But when you get to heaven, do you just want to get there and be like, someone help me in? Or do you want to go up there and do you want to have Jesus meet you at the door and say, well done, well done. And I I say this because church, this is what I said last week and this is what I'll close with. We have had more free time or for most of us more free time in the last 18 months than ever before. And we're about to go into a fall where everything's going to ramp back up. And, And when it does, when it does, you're going to hit November and you're going to say, what happened to September? What happened to October? Why am I already buying a turkey? This is what happens every year. It happens to all of us every year. And so the question now is, how are you going to start taking steps now? How are you going to carve out time so that you can have accountability with others when the fall picks up? So, so you can set aside time so, you, so you're not trying to do all this on the fly, but you're intentionally thinking. As your kids get their new sports things and extra sports things, extracurriculars and all these things build up, what are you going to carve out for time? And, and for some of you, maybe the question is you, you maybe aren't involved in anything here at this church. I want to tell you this fall we're doing the book of First John. And it is a book about community and fellowship and living for the God of light and the God of love. And I want to tell you, this series this fall, I'm, I'm writing the curriculum right now with some guys. If you're not in a small group, I don't know what you're getting out of it. I think you're probably wasting your time. And I say that as someone who really likes what I'm writing. So I'm really biased towards, I, I want to be honest with you though. If you're not in community this fall, I, I don't know what you're going to get out of a bunch of passages about community. Integrity is about seeing that, that my code on its own isn't enough. Costly integrity is about aligning and taking action based on this and recognizing where I don't and allowing a community to help me do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are so good. Um, Lord, we thank you that this hard passage begins with an, a recognition that we all transgress And the conversation is not you have to be perfect. The conversation is when you're not perfect, what are steps we can take in order to follow you well? And we thank you that you do not abandon us. We thank you you've given us your spirit. We thank you you've given us the example of your son. We pray now that we would take steps towards you. We pray we would be considering our July and our August, but especially our fall. We pray we would take steps towards you. We pray for those here that um, are, are equipped and able. I pray we would see some small group leaders step up that are ready to go this fall. We pray we would see volunteers step up in all the needs of our church. But above any of that, Lord, we pray we would see people that critically think about your word and put it into action. We thank you that through your spirit we can actually do that. And we pray we would do that well. We pray we would not forsake you but would forsake our sin. We thank you that your son died and rose again, that we could follow you, that we could be a part of your kingdom, and that we can be your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven now, and that someday we will be with you forever, living as you created us to be. It's in your name we pray. Amen.